Take your Bible, go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We've gone through all the introductory material. Uh, I'll ask a rhetorical question. Do you know Timothy any better by, by person now? After about three hours of introduction. I do, <laughs> if nothing else. And uh, we left off on verse 3. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. And I'm thankful you can come to church and feel at home, amen. I hope that never changes. If it does, uh, we need to do something to get back to it, amen. That's good. Appreciate the liberty, appreciate the, the levity, and any other word you want to put in there, the laughter, the espresso roll over here. I love it, man. I used to be that, but now I need it, amen. Amen. Actually, but you know, there's a certain threshold, lest I digress, of caffeine, and you just don't sleep. And, but you're tired, but you can't sleep. And so you just go nuts, amen? So that's my problem. Let's pray. Father, we sure love you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Father, we sure need your help tonight. Father, would you bless your people for coming out tonight? Lord, I pray that you give them grace. Lord, I pray that you fill them with your Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that you get me out of the way. Forgive me if there be anything between me and thee. Father, help us to lift up the King James Bible tonight. We're sure thankful for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, here in verse 3, we left off. He says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. What we did is we left off giving you multiple references on doctrine. All right? So here in 2023, uh, you know what the, the, the problem is? The problem is doctrine. And you know what we need in 2023? We need doctrine. And you know what? Uh, look at just a couple of these references. I want to just kind of get back into traffic before we get run over. Amen. 1 Timothy 4.1. I want you to realize again that in the day that you and I live, the problem is not uh, as much weak need preachers, although that's really easy to point out. It's easy to get behind a pulpit when you have a big mouth and say the problem is a preacher doesn't preach like you do. The real problem in 2023 is preachers no longer preach sound doctrine. That's the real thing. Uh, a lot of people try to equivocate preaching, <clears throat> and I'm going to be the first one to tell you, I don't know everything that preaching is. But a lot of preachers equivocate preaching with a delivery. That's not preaching. That's called a delivery. Preaching is not an oratorical skill, although you can often tell who spends their time trying to work on that. If you preach the same way today that you did 30 years ago, if you're a preacher, even if you were around 30 years ago, there might be an issue. What I'm saying is just like anything that you do, you should work on the gifts that God gives you. You shouldn't be the same bucket of mud in 30 years. You ought to have a little, maybe a little bit more mud in the bucket. But in 1 Timothy 4.1... I'll write just a couple of these up here. I don't know if this is making sense or not. I'm trying to convey a point here. Uh, it's not about a delivery. If, if the Lord allows me to get up and be oratorical in my delivery, well, praise the Lord. But the fact of the matter is, if I get up and tell you the truth and I don't exactly get it right as far as delivery, but yet I give you the truth, you ought to thank the Lord for it. We always take you back to Numbers chapter 23, verse 32. I think, <clears throat> excuse me, that's what it is with Balaam. And uh, who's the one that uh, revealed truth to Balaam? It was his donkey, right? So we give you this non-pastoral example, and it's okay. Uh, you ought to listen to the truth no matter what donkey delivers it. Fair enough? Now, you can ride down the road with that, no pun intended, but look at 1 Timothy 4.1. Amen? Jesus rode a jackass into Jerusalem. He put a saddle on you, we'll ride you out. Now, look at 1 Timothy 4.1. That's what the old preacher said. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. That's Christians. That's not Walmart employees. That's not the unsaved. Giving heed to seducing spirits and what? So in the last days, what's the problem? Doctrine. All right, now look at 2 Timothy 4.3. 2 Timothy 4.3. 2 Timothy 4.3, Paul says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound. It didn't say they wouldn't listen to preaching. Man, people listen to preaching all day long, don't they? Matter of fact, some Bible believers, they, uh, they put gold stars in their mind next to who they are because they listen to so much. Let me tell you what. 
To whom much is given, much shall be required. You realize it is all you can do, and I'm not saying this to serve myself, but if you can listen just for a second, it is all that you can do, the faithful crowd here tonight, to listen to four messages a week and actually try to make applications. Now go ahead and add a dozen more on there. You're a stinking mess. But God gave you a pastor, amen, and four messages a week, whether it's a, <clears throat> a clerical Bible study or not, to try to make personal application, that's a lot. And then I'm not saying don't listen to preaching. I've got a top four list in the bulletin. Whether you follow or not, don't hurt my feelings. Or not. It's, just, it's probably just space, amen, because there really ain't much put in the bulletin. And God help, please, Lord, let something happen that's not in the bulletin, right? <laughs> But the fact of the matter is, is that you better be careful how much preaching you listen to because it just might throw you off. If God gave you a pastor, maybe you ought to consider that God gave you a pastor. And he gave you a pastor to lead you and guide you and feed you and try to help you stay out of the mud. Uh, and, and I listen to preachers too, but a preacher needs preaching. It's a little bit different. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the point I'm trying to make in the last days, the problem is doctrine. And you have to make sure that you're... You say, well, okay, preacher, what is doctrine? Real simple. The correct biblical teaching on anything. The correct biblical teaching on anything is sound doctrine. And you've got to remember that. So where we are jacked and whacked at the uh, last times is preachers are no longer preaching sound doctrine. They're preaching rudiments of the world. They're preaching rudiments or tenets of their faith. They're preaching what the fundamental Baptists preach. They're preaching what the independent Baptists preach. Hey, look, where that stuff lines up with the Bible, thank God for it. But if it don't line up with the Bible, you better throw it away. So I'm telling you the problem in 2023 is exactly what Paul said, and that's what you and I face. We face a doctrinal problem. So the best thing you could sit underneath is doctrinal messages. Doctrinal messages. How about this? Let me give you this one. The doctrine of soteriology. You know what soteriology is? That's the doctrine of salvation. You know that is the most important doctrine you could ever imagine in your entire life. You say, how so? That's the very moment that you trusted Jesus Christ if you're a savior. Listen, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, you're not saved. And if you're not saved, you're going to spend an eternity in a place called hell, and you're going to burn forever. Now, the doctrine of soteriology is this. I know exactly what the Bible says about my salvation. And if you're here today, you ought to know more about your salvation than you ought to know what you do for a living. Why in the world would you plan to learn more about what you're going to make money by than the very day that Jesus Christ saved your soul? I'm saying sound doctrine is what the problem is. That's the problem. Well, preacher, anyone can diagnose a problem. You better believe it. And the problem is not preaching, although we equivocate doctrine with preaching, don't we? There's plenty of people willing to get up there and orate. There's plenty of people willing to get up there and say, live your best life now, and let me tell you what, and pull forth great uh, stories and illustrations and try to make you feel warm and fuzzy. I'm not here to make you feel warm and fuzzy. If the Lord helps you feel better because of sound doctrine, praise the Lord. But if you don't go out here every once in a while and feel like a dirty, rotten, stinking worm, I ain't doing my job. A sound doctrine, that's the correct biblical teaching. And the correct biblical teaching about anything is, Jesus Christ, the Lord said in Isaiah 55, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. You know what you don't do on a daily basis? You don't think like God. And you don't act like God. I don't care how spiritual you think you are. That's sound doctrine, right? Amen. That's the power of negative thinking. Amen. <laughs> but the problem's doctrine. Look at Romans 16, 17. Romans 16, 17. 2 Timothy 4, 3, of course, is the other one you mentioned, then Romans 16, 17. So if there's a problem with doctrine, what do you do? If there's a problem with doctrine, what do you do? You avoid those that have the wrong doctrine. That's a doctrinal division. You see that verse right there? Uh, what's he say there in Romans 16? Romans 16, 17. You say it's a rehash. It's an important rehash. Because I think sometimes we forget when we study the Bible how important the correct doctrinal teaching of anything is. Uh, Romans 16, 17, the Bible says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and what? Invite them over your house for tea and crumpets. No, you avoid them. Why? Because they'll mess you up. 
What in the world is a crumpet anyways? Is it like a cookie? As long as it got chocolate, I don't care, amen. <clears throat> but you're supposed to avoid those. So the problem's doctrine, right? In the last days, they don't, they're messed up in their doctrine. In the last days, they won't endure it. They won't put up to it. You know why people leave? Because you're a jerk preacher. No, it's sound doctrine. Now, you can say that if you're my wife and my kids. But one, one day a week in the pulpit, you're not going to sit here and tell me I'm a jerk. I serviced ice cream to over 30,000 customers in northern Michigan. And out of that, two of them said I was a jerk. Why? I know how to sell ice cream. It's sound doctrine. You don't want it? I'm not going to force it. But that's the problem. And when you encounter someone with a doctrinal problem uh, against Scripture, you avoid them. Now look at this thing here. Look at 2 Timothy 3.10. You know what Paul was? He was very clear on his doctrine. He was very clear on his doctrine. You say you're broad brushing it. No, I'm trying to paint you a picture before we get back into traffic here. The problem is not people speaking from a pulpit. The problem is that what they're speaking and what they're preaching is not sound doctrine. <clears throat> Second Timothy 3.10 uh, You say, well, just because they don't take the stand. It has nothing to do with the stand. I believe a Bible. And I'm willing to stake my naked soul on that King James Bible. And a bunch of preachers in a pulpit will not do that. Why? Look around. This is why. This is why. You say, what? I'm glad I got you here. Amen. Matter of fact, I ain't the one that got you here. You brought yourself here. 2 Timothy 3.10, the Bible says this, But thou hast fully known my... You see that? Thou hast fully known my doctrine. Paul didn't go, well, I'm going to teach you about how uh, the fundamentalists did it, and then I'm going to teach you how the charismatics do it, but I really think they're wrong. And I'm going to teach you how the Methodists do it. He says, thou hast fully known my doctrine. And that's what God gave Paul concerning the revealed body of truth to the body of Christ. And uh, Paul was real clear in his doctrine. Now look at 2 Timothy 3.16. 3.16. The problem's doctrine. Paul was clear in his doctrine. And the first application of Scripture is what? Doctrine. 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. So let's talk about that just for a second. That Bible that you have in your lap, you know what it was written for? It wasn't written. The, the first application was not so that you would get saved. Although if you're not saved and you're headed to hell, you need to get saved. But the first application of that book was written so you'd have sound doctrine. There it is. That's a first application. That book was written to show you the exact way to do it and the exact way to believe. Sound doctrine. And that's why the scriptures are written. He says, all scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness. Verse 17. Here you go. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. All right. The problem today is doctrine. Uh, Paul was absolutely clear in his doctrine, and he taught it to Timothy. The first application of Scripture is, do is doctrine. Look at 1 Timothy 4. So if the first application of Scripture is doctrine, what you need is this book. And Brother Cole said it in the announcements, and I'm telling you what, it, you, ought to, you ought to ask God to allow you to be disciplined to read that book. Oh, preacher, it's just so hard. Stop it, man. It ain't. It ain't hard. And the days that you're just so cotton-picking busy that you can't read it, you know what you ought to do? Let Scorby read it to you. You say, oh, oh, compromise. I'll take it. You're going to read it going down the road, you crash and burn. Don't read your Bible while you're going. I know the old preacher did that, but you ain't going to do it. <laughs> but uh, 1 Timothy 4, 6. Look what Paul says. No, that ain't it. 4.16. There you go. He says to Timothy, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Right? Oh, it was six. I did want six. I was looking at four, talking about eating food. Amen? Six. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Look what the word he uses. Nourished up in the words of faith and of... You know what good doctrine does to you, Christian? It nourishes the soul. You need good nourishment. You know why Christians are out here belly aching and whining and crying and griping? 
because they're starving to death. One of my biggest fears as a pastor is having a congregation walking out of here saying, I didn't get nothing. It scares a fire out of me. You ought to be nourished up. And that book, it's milk. That book is meat. That book is apples. That, uh, that, that uh, book is a lot of things, and it nourishes you up. Good doctrine nourishes you up. You ought to eat. The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you tasted it lately? Have you tasted this book, or are you just kind of fiddling around with the thing? You know, coming every once in a while and getting a bite here and a bite there. And, well, you know, I just, you know, I heard one preacher say, well, the Evans family, uh, uh, we just love, you guys are like a, our fav, one of our favorite ice cream flavors. I said, what a Fruit Loop, man. Favorite ice cream. He's talking about music, right? What a Fruit Loop. Favorite ice cream. This ain't flavor of the week. This is the book, man. You need, that, you need to be nourished up in the book. <clears throat> I'm awful thankful that when I was growing up, my parents, uh, they talked to me the way they did. And I'm awful thankful for the preachers that God has put in my life to talk to me the way and preach to me the way they did and make me feel like an absolute dog when I wouldn't read that book. And if you're here today and you ain't reading that book, you ain't right with God. That's the only way you're going to get nourished up. You can't just hopefully wake up and it's going to... It's going to be a great day. It's going to be the best version of me. Read the book. Read the book. Get nourished up in the words of doctrine and faith and all that stuff. You need the book. Look at uh, 1 Timothy 4.13. That one's next. He says to Timothy, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to what? All right, the problem's doctrine. Paul was clear in his doctrine, and the answer is doctrine. He said, I'm tired of hearing that word. I don't care. It's the right word. We need it. You need it. I need it. Now look at this. Look at one more. 2 Timothy 4.2. 2 Timothy 4.2. Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. What's that? Well, go ahead and preach when you want to preach. Go ahead and be ready to preach when you feel like preaching. Then he says, out of season. You know when that is? When you don't want to preach. Now that's to a young preacher, but how about Christian? How about you being the minister? God wants you to be to other people when you feel like it, right? When you got the tracks. And then when you don't have the tracks, you got enough guts to stop and talk to somebody. Well, you know, <laughs> I just ain't got a track. I'll catch you later. Never see that guy again. Maybe he's on his way to hell. Maybe he's the la- you're the last ticket he's got. Out of season. He says, uh, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Why? Because that's what you and I need. So that's the big entryway uh, that we get back into 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. So the best thing you and I could ever hear from any pulpit is a doctrinal message, particularly one about your salvation. And what happens is we get so content, we get so fat spiritually that always going to get up there and preach about Calvary again. You ever stop and think about where you'd be without Calvary? You ever stop and think if it wasn't for Calvary, you'd just be as good as in hell with the door shut? We take Calvary for granted. And if it wasn't for Calvary, we wouldn't even have the ability to have victory over our sins. And then not only think about the day that's coming, we'll have victory from the presence of sin. My goodness, that gets me excited. Why? Because I'm a dirtbag. Yeah, I've been around only 47 years, and that's 47 years of living with a dog. How many own a dog? You own a dog? You ever see what a dog does? That's what you are. Amen. You know what a dog does? It takes care of himself. He looks for food. He looks for self-gratification. He looks for self-preservation. But you know what a good dog does? Hold on now. Oh, you're just being vulgar, preacher. No, no, no. You know what a good dog does? He uh, finds a master and he serves him. And that dog knows who the master is. Remember that Canaanite woman there? He said, yeah, Lord, but the dogs eat the crumbs at the master's feet there. You ever thought about that you're just maybe the Lord's dog? And I know you're a sheep. You're not a dog. I'm not trying to make a doctrinal application even though I've been preaching about doctrine. I'm just preaching now. You're a dog, so if you're the Lord's dog, you ever stop and think maybe you ought to serve him with your life? You ought to consider not trying to always sit at the table and just say, all right, Lord, uh, 
If you just want me to be a rag in your back pocket like old the dog back there, I'll serve you the best I can because maybe, maybe you throw me some crumbs. You willing to be satisfied with crumbs? You got to have the whole meal. Now here in 1 Timothy 1.3, Paul's dealing with the doctrines of grace that override the law. So take your Bible now. I'll go back to 1 Timothy 1.3. There's a little bit of, uh, what do you call it, carbon in the pipe. So I had to blow that out before we got going here. And 1 Timothy 1.3, Paul's dealing with the doctrines of grace. And Paul's trying to show Timothy that there's going to be some people, some of them people that come into the church. He's there at Ephesus there and try to teach the law over the grace of God. And that's why he's saying this. Look at verse 3. Paul says that thou mightest charge some that they teach what? No other doctrine. And Paul says uh, they start teaching some other doctrine. When that happens and you're, the, you're, the, you're the, the preacher over there, you get after them and you get on them. And I try to keep my ears open, but sometimes there's, as the country boy said, there's corn in my ears. I don't always hear it. But I've well, just in eight years, I've heard a couple times people talking around here, and they start talking about a bunch of garbage stuff. Say, what do you do? I run that stuff out, man. I preach on it. Why? Because the, you didn't get saved by the law. And if you didn't get saved by the law, you shouldn't be teaching the law. You've got to be teaching the doctrines of grace. Now, you'll notice here in verses 7 to 10, that some people come in there and they're trying to teach the law as a way of salvation. Look at this, 7 to 10. Desire to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, so forth and so on, but for the law. So what happens uh, to people when they, they try to use the law is they get in a real mess. And in, when they do that, look what happens. Verse 9, they become lawless. They become disobedient, they become ungodly, unholy, profane, murderers, so forth. Look at verse 10. When they try to use the law for salvation, they're whoremongers for them that defile themselves with mankind, men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. Why? It's real simple. They didn't stick with sound doctrine. Now, I know this might be real simple for some of you, but I'm telling you what, it'll help you down the road. It's going to help you. When people don't stick to right doctrine, you're going to notice this. They don't get the right results. You say, preacher, let's talk about your results. I'm not talking about how many people are in the pew. That's not what Paul's talking about. You realize Jeremiah had 52 chapters that he authored by the uh, uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit and never had one convert in his entire ministry, never had anybody sign up for missions of the Congo, <laughs> never had anyone baptized, walk an altar, walk an aisle, but yet God put Jeremiah's stuff in it. You see, man measures results differently. I can, our missionaries, God bless them, I, I, I don't think I could do what they do. I really don't. But they, they send, they send uh, uh, updates r religiously, regularly. And it's almost, sometimes you read it and my, my heart breaks for them because you, you can almost feel like they feel the need to impress upon us what they're doing. Oh, well, maybe we should be writing them a letter every month and tell them what we're doing. But uh, what happens here is when people start uh, gravitating towards the law, they're not sticking with sound doctrine, and then they don't get the right results. Look at that. You see that thing back in verse five, or over in verse 5. Paul says, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. And look, you don't get that out of the law. You see those three things right there in 5? You don't get that out of the law. You get that out of grace, verses 12 to 16. 12 to 16, you get thankfulness, you get mercy, you get love, you get faithfulness, and all the way through there. Uh, listen, here's an important thing you've got to hang on to. If you're a servant of God that serves God by fear, you cannot produce the fruits of the Spirit. Did you get a hold of that? I'll say it again, because this is where we're stuck. This is where a lot of Christians have been stuck for 50 years. They've been serving God out of fear. You know, they, they're just like that person in the book of Luke says, I know that thou art an austere man. And there's a one fellow that had the pound laid up in a napkin and he buried the thing in the earth. You know what a lot of Christians do? They serve God because they're afraid of what God's going to do. That ain't, that ain't the Lord. He didn't save you to be scared to death. He didn't save you so you'd be so trembly that you didn't do nothing for him. How about this? Why don't you just serve him because he saved your soul and you love him? Ta-da! What a novel idea. It, but 
if you're honest for a minute, you almost feel like you're compromising when you think that thing through. You know why? The devil, he's a master of doubt, ain't he? Doesn't he like to get on your back? He put the old grand piano, you put the old monkey on your back, and you'll get down, and you'll confess your sin, or whatever you're doing, that besetting sin, or whatever you keep going to the throne about that thing, and then you get up, and you're like, eh. and the devil goes, you were just here yesterday with that. You're pretty stupid, you know that. And you know what you go? Yeah, that's me. I'm just stupid. Okay, well, there might be some merit to that, but that's what I'm talking about. But all that stuff, you ought to serve them out of love. You ought to serve them because you want to. You ought to serve them because you get to. You can't serve them out of fear. I've heard these preachers for nearly 27 years now running off of the mouth. Said they, they say this, listen, they say they were serving God because they were afraid if they would quit that God, listen now, God would kill their family. That ain't the God I serve. That's not how it works. I didn't say the Lord won't chasten you. But if you think because you got saved and then you don't do exactly what God says, God's going to kill your family, why did you get saved? What is the price of your salvation? Is it the blood of Jesus Christ and one family member? The wheels are turning, aren't they? Is the price of your salvation, uh, you know, the blood of Jesus Christ and uh, a car you stole? 20 years ago? So now someone's got to come steal your car? Dumbest thing I ever heard. If you're going to produce the right kind of fruit, and this is what I'm trying to get your attention on, then they'll have, that thing will have to be born out of love and a desire to please Jesus Christ instead of a, a fear of a whip or a fear of a funeral. And let me tell you what, if you're here today and you're worried about a whip or a funeral... You have the wrong estimation of God. For God so loved the world that he, oh, that doesn't sound like a God's going to kill you. And some of you are going, well, preacher, you're just preaching. No, I'm talking about your salvation here. Now, listen, I fear God, but I don't serve him because I fear him. And some of you need to get a hold of that. I don't fear God for my for salvation. That thing was settled at Calvary. Say, do you serve me because you think you're going to stand before him? I know I'm going to stand before him. And you know, uh, unfortunately, I'm going to stand before him and hope to God I take care of everything that needs to be taken care of because I want to get a full reward. But I'm not in this pulpit because I think if I'm not here, then... The Lord will go through and he'll slaughter my family. That's the dumbest thing you ever heard in my life. You ever read Exodus chapter 21? When he saved you, you were freed. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make, make you free. None of this setting business, make you free. There's a difference. You were made free. You say, what does that mean? Free to do what you want. Now you have a choice to make. And if you're going to choose to serve him, choose to serve him because you love him. Exodus 21. When he refused to go out, he said, I love my master. But you ought to serve him because you love him. And when you do that, you begin to produce the fruits of the Spirit. Now watch this thing. Paul's talking and putting an emphasis on doctrine and then he tells him something. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. He says, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. So Paul says, Tim, they're going to start coming around here and they're going to put some of these strange doctrines on you. And when you preach on doctrine, they're going to call you a cult leader cult member, you go to a cult, they're going to call you a Ruckmanite. <laughs> Dr. Ruckman has been blamed for more things than the whole, that was authored by the Holy Spirit than any man I ever met in my life. And Paul says, uh, neither give heed to it. Don't listen to them. Don't give heed to their fables. Don't give heed to endless genealogies. And those endless genealogies in Titus 1.14 are called the commandments of men. The commandments of men, Titus 1.14. That's stuff like taste not, 
touch not, wear not, do not, have not, go not. <laughs> Sound familiar? You ever hear that crowd? Can't do this, can't do that, can't go here, can't go there. You'll notice that these things in verse 4, fables and endless genealogies, they produce strife. They produce strife. You got this Christian arguing with that Christian. Well, I think you should be able to do this. Well, I think you should be able to just strive. You see that? Not the right results. And they don't profit. Let me say this. Preaching without profit is a waste of time. If I get up behind this pulpit and I preach and there's no profit to it, I never should have got it in the first place. Now listen, every message I preach ain't going to be over the fence. Some, some, some you're going to wonder what in the fire I even did. And maybe the Lord will put that thing away for a rainy day. Amen. But uh, if I'm going to get up here and preach with no profit, I'm wasting my time. Look at 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 14. When you preach, it ought to have profit to it. It shouldn't be just a, play, a time where someone gets up in the pulpit and runs their gas bags, amen? I don't care how much experience you got. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how long you've been, you know, in a telephone company or, you know, you know typing uh, whatever or doing whatever you're doing. Uh, if, if, if you get up here and you think you're going to preach and there's no profit to it, you're wasting your time and you're wasting the time of everyone here. You say, who are you pre preaching to? Y'all, maybe be a pre there's a preacher here or something. Amen. I went to church with my mother all my life until after I moved out and bumped my head or something like that. I don't know if she ever knew. She, she told me when I was young she thought I was going to be a preacher, but she didn't call me. I wonder how many preachers are in here. I'm not trying to call you either. I'm just saying I wonder. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 2, 14. Of these things, Paul says, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit. You ever stop and think what comes out of your mouth? Half of it ain't no profit, is it? The Bible says you're going to give an account for every idle word in the day of judgment. Every idle word, that Bible says, you're going to give account in the day of judgment. When you open your mouth, when a preacher opens his mouth, it ought to be words that profit. He says that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. And you know what happens when people listen to endless genealogies and fables back in 1 Timothy 1.4? <laughs> they get twisted. They get subverted. They get jaded. They get thrown off the track. How many Christians have been thrown off the track by some ridiculous study that had nothing to do with their Christian life? You know what you need? Doctrinal studies, doctrinal studies, doctrinal preachings. And what happens is when they get thrown off track and the subverting of the hearers, their ears don't hear like they should. You ever, uh, you ever hear a message and you're going, man, I sure thank God for the truth. Someone will walk out of here and invariably go, I wonder what, what in the world his problem was. What are you all worked up for? Who's he mad at? I ain't mad at nobody. I'm mad at sin. I'm mad at the devil. I'm mad at this cotton-picking world. I'm mad at my own flesh. And what happens is a Christian, when they get all subverted and twisted and jacked around and jaded and don't uh, get the right type of doctrine, uh, their ears don't hear. It don't matter if they come to church 24-7. If they're messed up and subverted, they won't hear nothing. All right, there's no profit. So if I'm a preacher, if I'm a missionary, if I'm a Sunday school teacher, if I'm a parent teaching my children, how in the world am I going to be able to preach so it profits? Well, look at the next verse, 2 Timothy 2.15. Here's how you do it. You want a prophet? Do you study to show thyself approved unto who? The preacher? No, forget it. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Listen, some of you haven't been in this church very long and it's about time to catch up. You've got to get studying. You've got to get turning the pages. The best way you're going to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ is not sitting uh, don't get me wrong, you ought to come to church, you ought to pay attention, but the best and the fastest way you'll ever grow is by turning them pages. Turning the pages. <clears throat> All right, so you're going to have to study the book. You're going to have to read the book. And the old preacher said it, and I always say it, the more you learn to love those pages, the more you'll learn to love the Rock of Ages. That's it. I'm telling there's there's something supernatural. You're going to think I'm crazy, help yourself. There is something supernatural. I'm uh, reviewing a work right now by a, a, by a Bible-believing author, and he's having me check the Scripture references. The first chapter had over a 1,000 references. You say, what happened? Lit my stinking fuse, brother. You ever wonder why I'm so full of it sometimes on the pulpit? You run a 1,000 references on one chapter. I'm about ready to run the bases. <laughs> 
So you got to study the book. You got to read the book. You know what you got to do? You got to make yourself shut off YouTube. Dump, dumped water on the campfire there. Shut off Facebook. Shut off Instagram. Shut off Snapchat. Shut off TikTok. Stupid, I hate that stuff. I read and study that book, and that's the prophet. Back to 1 Timothy 1.4. So you don't like a lot of things. Yeah, mostly myself, most of the time, amen. 1 Timothy 1.4. I pray that prayer that Moses prayed a lot. Dear Lord, let me not see my wretchedness. <laughs> Why? Because I'm a wretch. <clears throat> you ever wake up in the morning and smell your own breath sometimes? You're a stinking wretch. Why? You smell that, that, that whatever that is coming out of your mouth. Man, that wants to make you a wretch, don't it? 1 Timothy 1, oh no, mine smells like peppermint and roses. 1 Timothy 1, 4, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions. All right, Paul, so how are we going to do that? Good question, ain't it? How are we not going to give heed to fables and endless genealogies? Keep going in the verse. Paul says, rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. You know how you're going to get rid of the fables and endless questions and genealogies? Learn to edify. Edification. Edification. What does that mean? It means this. Brother, you're doing a good job. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Keep going. That's edification. Appreciate you being here. I'm sure glad you can come. I've been watching you. I appreciate you. You've gone through a lot. You've got a lot on your plate, but you know what? You're doing a good job. That's edification. That is hard. Amen. You know why? Because we all want someone to do it to us. <laughs> I, I was uh, in a class today, and, and uh, they were working on monologues. And uh, I was never good at monologues, you know. But the, this one gal, she, she cute as a button there, and she's like, oh, oh, I, just, oh, I just I could get all nervous, and, you know, and, and, uh, and uh, I could do it if I was, uh, you know, just me and my friend, uh, but I get up there, and I, and I think everyone's looking at me. Well, yeah, I mean, when you're up here, they have to look at you. And I said, you know what the, I, I said, you know what the, the reality is? It says, you think that everyone's thinking about you, and that's the exact same thing that everyone else is thinking in the room. You think that we're all thinking about you. <laughs> Why is it we're so self-absorbed? <laughs> I mean... Can you imagine going back to high school and you're like 40 or 50? You, you wouldn't give a rip what anybody says. You know? They make fun, yeah, whatever. You know, Your mother's combat boots, I don't care. You know? But that's done through edification. You know, people need to be edified. Can we just get serious for a minute? People need to be edified. People need to be built up. And you know when you're first saved, you, don't, you can't do it on your own. I understand Paul said in Acts 27, I think myself happy. Isn't that what we said? Now, that's Paul the aged, though. Now, the older preacher probably can keep himself going a little bit better and a little bit longer, but people need to be edified. They need it once in a while. If you don't edify them once in a while, people get to thinking, well, maybe I just ain't in love. Right? You don't ever tell your wife you love her. You don't ever tell your husband you love him. If you don't ever tell people in the body of Christ that it's really, really good to see you and I appreciate what you do, maybe they just think they're not in love. Maybe they're thinking they've left their first love and they really didn't. You see that? I sure appreciate you, brother. Oh, you know, I, I don't want to fake it. Stop it. Just say it. I sure am thankful for you. It's really good to see you in church every time the doors are open, at least when you physically can make it. One of the biggest lessons I learned in the last five years is as our seasoned saint gets older, they can't come as much. But you know what? They want to be here. So here's a lesson. You ready? I'm going to get on you for a second. You need to come when it's easy to come because there's coming a day when you're not going to be able to come. And you're going to want to be there. Paul says, godly edifying, which is in faith, 
Edification is what's needed. Notice that godly edifying, you know what it produces? Here's the key. Here's the ticker. It produces faith. Oh, just need to produce a good self-image. No, 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 no. You know what godly edifying does? When I edify this brother right here, you know what the Bible says it does? It produces faith in that brother. It gives him life. Now you know why the devil don't want you edifying nobody? Because it builds you up. It gives you life. It gives you faith. Stop and think about people you look up to. When they say something kind to you, doesn't it do something for you? It sure does. And that's why we don't do it. Because the devil wants you so self-absorbed with you and your reputation and everyone's thinking about you. How about this? You know, I, <clears throat> not that I'm not the poster child for what I'm trying to get across tonight, but here's a couple things the Lord's taught me over the years. There are many times on that stinking ice cream route I'd be lonelier than, I don't know, uh, you, you fill in the blank, and I'm, I'm so lonely I need some fellowship. And I just start calling people in the church, not to gossip, just saying, hey, love you, appreciate you. I called the one fellow, I said, you're the best song leader in the world. Until I met Brother Cole. I couldn't tell him that anymore. <laughs> and he's like, oh, Brother Jeremy, thank you. Oh, you mean the world to me. And it was just like, you know, chicken skin moment. You say, what is that warm fuzzies? Edification. And you know what he did? Every, every once in a while, I'd see him get him up there, and man, he'd get that whole place just cranked. I mean, back there in the home church, man, they'd swing from the rafters for a few years. And then they had to kick out the rafters and rebuild. But anyways, but edification is what's needed. Does that make sense? Is this hitting home yet? But faith ministers godly edifying. That's what faith does. It ministers to me and it ministers to you. Uh, what does it minister? It ministers godly edifying. Now, what do fables minister? Well, fables minister questions. You get to blabbering about things you don't know about and fables and, well, you know, our forefathers did this and our foremothers did that. and all. That's just a bunch of questions is all that is. Endless genealogies. <laughs> That's questions. So the lesson to learn here from the verse, my best jokes are when I don't even think about it. Because if I plan it, it flops. <clears throat> Faith dispenses light is what I'm trying to get across. You edify somebody, it ministers faith. And faith dispenses light. And that's the light of edification. So you got some faith today? If you do, listen, if you have some faith today, not talking about the faith to trust Jesus Christ, although if you haven't, you need to. Amen. But once you get saved, there's faith that God will give you. And if you've got a little bit of faith, you know what you're going to do? You're going to work on edifying somebody instead of seeking to be edified yourself. Give it out. I mean, the world, I mean, they got some of the stuff right. What goes around comes around. Maybe you ain't getting edified because you ain't giving any out. And uh, that's the light of edification. And if you got some faith, you'll edify one another. You give someone a call and say, hey, brother, you're doing a good job. And that'll give that brother some light. And that brother will sit, you know, that brother will sit back for a moment and he'll do this. Huh. I didn't think I was doing a good job. Maybe I am. Well, praise the Lord. And it gives him faith to go on, and that faith gives him light. Edification is huge. As Bible-believing Baptists, we are terrible at edification. I'm telling you, you take anything away from you tonight, you need to learn to edify one another. Not because the preacher says so, because it ministers faith, and that faith will minister light to your life. And who couldn't use light in your life? You ever say, I think I'm in the dark on that thing? Start edifying people. Start building them up in the Lord. I mean, good grief. Everyone's known for something. I mean, Brother Brian's known for guessing wrong song numbers. Amen. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but you know what he's known for? A good spirit, ain't he? Everyone's known for something. Could you be the edifier? You know, back in the old Methodist church, they used to have exhorters. And those are edifiers that would preach. Now we're not looking for everyone. I mean, some of them old-time Methodists, man, they just, they, I don't know, anyways, they, they shell the corn, man. But you start edifying, that brother will sit back for a moment, and he'll say internally, yeah, I didn't really think I was doing a good job. I, I guess I am. I guess I am in love. And make you think about Jesus Christ. And it's okay to think about what you are doing right every now and then, as long as you don't fixate it and get a big old stinking head about it. It's like we've got this idea as Bible believers that we can never tell anyone they're doing a good job. You know how you encourage your children? 
hey, you're doing great. You know how you discourage them? Tell them they're stupid all the time. Tell them they're terrible. Tell them they're worthless. Right? Well, you give them light, builds them up, encourages them to go on for Jesus Christ, and it gives you light and shows you. You know what it also does? It shows, uh, it shows you when you're edified. It says, hey, you know what? Someone is watching me. Someone's paying attention. You know what that makes you want to do most of the time? Live right. It puts the pressure on you that's right, the pressure on you that's necessary to go ahead and live another day for Jesus Christ and get up in the morning because you were encouraged at church or you are encouraged throughout the day and say, you know what? I need to read my Bible more. Because you know why? Because I'm doing a good job. That's edification. Now you notice here in verse 4, we're almost done here, verse 4, that this edification is done in a godly manner. It says, rather than godly edifying, it has to have godly manner to it, and the preacher or the layman who is strong in faith ministers and enlightens people to the word of God. Preachers and laymen who are strong in the faith, you minister and you enlighten people to the Word of God. Look at Romans chapter 12. It's like a part of the body of Christ is missing many times because we go around often feeling like uh, we got the grand piano on our back and nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. And it's just so terrible out there. You know, and every time you come to church, you know, you're, you're, you, you sit down, you're like, I'm at a funeral. Why? We're not edifying. I tell you, I'm encouraging you. I'm encouraged by you all here. I'm, I'm not getting on you. I'm trying to preach the best I know how uh, at only uh, eight years into this thing. But if we would do more edification, I think the body of Christ often would be in better shape. You say, well, I'm, I'm afraid I'll overdo it. <laughs> you won't. <laughs> you won't overdo it. <laughs> Cut it out. Look at uh, Roman 12, Romans 12. Um, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. You know what will keep you in check with that? Edifying one another. You get to edifying one another, you'll start focusing on the goodness of everyone else and you'll stop worrying about how good you think you really are. Amen. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. That's seriously According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith, for as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given. Isn't that a blessing? We all have different gifts. Amen. Some of you can cook, and some of you can eat. <laughs> Aren't you glad the ones that cook know how to cook? Amen. Some you can sing, some you can minister in music, some you can minister in just, you have the ability to figure out the need that somebody has. Some of you have the, an artistry gift, some of you had a, have a, a gift of being able to see things before they happen. You see what I mean? Why? God gave you that gift. <laughs> Having then gifts, verse 6, differing according to the grace, according, so the gifts are according to what? The grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. You good at ministering today? God giving you something? God gave you something to do? You know why he did that? Not just so you could feed your guts. He did it so you could minister to the body of Christ. And Paul says, let us wait, not as in like put a halt to it, but you know what a waiter is? And if God's given you a gift then go ahead and get after it. Let us wait on it. Let's, try, let's get with it, right? And, or he that teacheth on teaching, some of you can teach, right? Not Hey, listen, not everybody's a teacher. <laughs> and uh, if you don't know that, well, we'll let you know if you try. 
I mean, some of the smartest people I know are terrible teachers. You know, the old man used to say, there's a function of the perpendicular modulus to give the mean, the bytes of the perpendicular to keep the collateral straight. What does that mean? I have no idea. And neither does he. But the point is this, not everyone's a teacher. And Paul says, if you're, a, if you're able to teach, you ought to teach. Don't just sit there and go, well, you know, my expertise is this, then teach. All right. How about this one? Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. Can you exhort? Can you lift somebody up? Edification? He that giveth, let him, that, let him do it with simplicity. You know, everyone can't give. I'll say it again. I know some of y'all are like, oh, everyone can't give. But if you can, do it with simplicity. Don't make a big stinking deal out of it. Don't be like that guy that, you know, over there and threw in, you know, of his abundance, you know, just bouncing everything off the treasury walls and got that little... That little widow in there drops in two mice. Nobody knew but the Lord. And the Lord's like, you see that gal right there? She gave more than you did, Mr. Trump. She gave more than you did, Mr. Musk. She gave more than you did there, uh, Mr. Gates. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. All right, can you rule? Can you lead? Can you supervise? Can you manage? Well, then you have to get after it. You have to be diligent about it. Can you show mercy? Wow, that's tough, ain't it? Some of you can't show mercy. <laughs> but if God's given you some of the gift to show mercy, he said do it with cheerfulness. You don't go, you know, you know, act like you're going to tommyhawk somebody. Just, but you know, I'm going to be merciful today. No, do it with cheerfulness. Hey, okay, don't no sweat. Don't worry about it. No sweat off my back, you know. All right, back in 1 Timothy 1.4, you'll notice that Paul talks about this edifying which is in faith. He says, so do. Now, Paul, go ahead and he defines the faith in verse 5, and we'll stop right here. Now, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. You see that faith unfeigned? Isn't that, isn't that something? You know what that is? Faith unfeigned means genuine faith, unpretended. There is no pretension in unfeigned faith. It's faith from God. And you know, you know who had this unfeigned faith? Timothy's mother and grandmother. If you're here today and you got unfeigned faith, there's a good possibility, good possibility that it got passed on to you. You're not going to come to that thing usually all by yourself. It has to get passed on somehow. And you notice in verse 5 it says, Charity out of a pure heart. That heart was purified in this passage by faith. And uh, we'll stop right there. We'll stop right there at verse 5. Pick it up when we're together again. Charity out of a pure heart. Paul, what Paul's doing, he's defining the faith. All right, there's your homework. Go edify someone. <laughs> Why don't you stand?